Greetings from Quail Lakes Baptist Church in Stockton, California. Thank you for your interest in our downloadable messages. Our more recent teachings, such as Pastor Mark's current sermon series, are always available on iTunes. However, for a more comprehensive offering of Quail's Bible-based teachings from Pastor Mark and others, we offer an extensive archive of downloadable sermon MP3s on our website, as well as information on our fellowship and our ministries. Please visit us online at www.qlbc.org. These messages are also available on CD or cassette. For more information, please call our church office at 209-951-7380. We trust you will be blessed and edified by what you are about to hear. Thank you for listening. Take your Bibles, please, and turn to Joshua chapter 23. The 23rd chapter of Joshua is where we are today as we're getting near the end of this journey through the book of Joshua. Here's the key concept for today. Beware of compromise and complacency. Joshua chapter 23. And in this chapter, Joshua has called a meeting of the leaders and the elders of the tribes of Israel. He's an old man. We estimate that Joshua is about 100 years old or so at this point. And he knows that his leadership is about to change and his life really is about to end. And he's concerned for the nation that he has led so far. At a time when most people spend most of their time thinking about the past and remembering the past either with fond nostalgia or with bitter regret, Joshua is thinking about the future. He's still future-oriented. And as he gathers the leaders and the elders of the tribes together, he gives them future-oriented advice. It's in verse 6 of chapter 23. He says this, Be very strong. Be careful to obey all that is written in the book of the law of Moses without turning aside to the right or to the left. That is future-oriented advice. Because it's almost, word for word, slightly different, but very similar to the advice that he himself got from the Lord back in chapter 1. Back when his future was to lead the nation across the Jordan River and into the conquest of the land. These are the words that God said to him. Don't go to the right or to the left. Do not deviate from the word of God. Future-oriented. He's concerned about a future that he's not going to be a part of. And that's the mark of a a true leader. Not building a kingdom for himself. It's not all about himself. It's about what's next. It's about his people. At a hundred years of age, Joshua is still passionate for his people. He's passionate for what's next for them from the will of God. And that example causes me to ask a question. And that is... What kind of old person do I want to be? Now, some of you are looking at me right now and you're saying, you're asking that too late. That ship has sailed. Here's what I want you to know. You're never too old or too young to think about the future. And you are always too young or too old to get stuck in the past. Joshua's not stuck in the past. I do not want to be the kind of person who thinks that everything used to be better in the past. 
Everything used to be easier. Everything used to be purer. Everything used to be higher quality. Everything used to be, you know, more enjoyable in the past. What happens is that when you get stuck in what I'll call extreme nostalgia, it colors your memories. It makes your memories false. There were problems in the past. Every era has issues. I want to be the kind of older person who remember the past both with its blessings and its bruises, but yet yearn deeply for the future. Even if it's a future that I will never see. I want to be the kind of older person who takes the blessings of the past and makes them the foundation of the expectation of what God will do in the future. I want to know that the future is going to be different. Things will change. But if we build on the word of God and the will of God, the trajectory for that change will be the trajectory that God has in mind for us. So this is essentially the attitude that Joshua has as he calls this meeting. Let's make sure we have the right trajectory for the future, building on what God has done. That means we need to be the right people, the right kind of people. So here's what he challenges them with. Number one, be the kind of people who give credit where credit is due. Look at verse three. You yourselves have seen everything the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake. It was the Lord your God who fought for you. It was God who fought for you. He was the power. The successes of the past are because of God's blessing. You see, the people of Canaan had fallen into such depraved darkness that God chose the Israelites to be the arm of his judgment on those civilizations. But it was God's doing that gave them the victory. It was God's power that has brought them as far as they have come. And Joshua says, I don't want you to take it for granted, and I don't want you to take the credit. Give the credit where credit is due. God has worked for you. I'm reminded of the story who was, of a man who was uh, late for a meeting. And he was so late that he didn't have time to park in the parking structure and walk, walk all the way down the block to where the, the meeting was in the, in, the, in the business building that he was attend, uh, going to. And so he was circling the block looking for a close parking spot. And as he was circling the block looking for a close parking spot, he was praying. And, and his prayers were getting increasingly desperate. Lord, show me a parking spot. Lord, I promise, if you give me a parking spot, I'm going to say grace before all my meals. Desperation increased. Lord, if you show me a parking spot, I'm going to go to church on Sunday. Every Sunday, I'll be there. Desperation gets to a higher pitch. Lord, when I go, I will tithe my income. If you just give me a parking spot. And with that, a, a person pulled out of a spot right in front of the front door. And before that man swung in to park his car, he shot up another prayer to the Lord and said, Never mind, Lord, I found it myself. <laughs> That's what Joshua does not want the children of Israel to do. To believe that they've done this themselves. That somehow, according to their strength, their might, their battle plans. No, he says, remember, to give credit where credit is due and base your confidence for the future on the fact that God has worked for you in the past. Ground your faith for the future on the evidence of God's faithfulness in the past. He returns to this theme in verse 9. He says this, The Lord has driven out before you great and powerful nations, 
To this day, no one has been able to withstand you. Pull that principle forward for us today. Base your faith in the facts of the life of Jesus Christ and what he has done and the way that he has worked in your life. Remember what he has done and all that he has accomplished. Remember what he has pulled you through. You have weathered 100% of your worst days. They're in your rearview mirror. Those days that you dreaded. Those times when you, you didn't even want to wake up in the morning because you knew what you were going to face the next day. You have gotten through every one of those days. And here you are today. But you didn't get through them on your own. Give credit where credit is due. And after he says that, in verse 4, it almost sounds like a contradiction. Read with me. He says, remember how I have allotted as an inheritance for your tribes all the land of the nations that remain. The nations I conquered between the Jordan and the Great Sea in the West. It almost sounds as if Joshua is taking credit. Even after he just says to them, no, you give God the credit. But he's not getting puffed up in his pride. Rather, what he's doing is he's illustrating kind of the next principle. And that is, God is the one who does the work, but he uses faithful people to do it. He uses the people who are his to accomplish his will. And so his message to the leaders and through the mist of time to us is, be the kind of people that God will use. Because the job's not done. The the nation is not conquered. Much work remains. The Lord will continue to drive them out, but he'll do that through you. He uses people. Verse 5, the Lord your God himself will drive them out of your way. He will push them out before you. You will take possession of their land as the Lord your God promised. Job's not done. Be a person that is able to be used by God. Because you need to beware of something. And that is, don't declare victory too soon. Don't get comfortable too soon. It is human nature to settle. We are too easily pleased. Joshua wants them to be displeased with the status quo. He wants them to have a sense of urgency for the change that God wants done. He wants them to keep going forward. Because the victory is not complete and the victory the Lord has in mind for you is a complete victory. But in order to accomplish that, more will be required of you. So point number two. Number one was give credit where credit is due. Number two is say yes to what God wants you to do. That's his challenge. Say yes to what God wants you to do. And there might be a lot of little tasks that God will ask them to do, a lot of specific directions that God will give them in individual circumstances. But big picture, Joshua, in this chapter, in this meeting with the leaders, big picture, he says, listen, there's really two things that God asks you to do. God asks you to obey him and to love him. That's it. That's the big picture. That's the order that he, he asks them to think about. Number, uh, number one, obey him. Verse six, be strong, be careful to obey all that's written in the book of the law of Moses without turning, to, turning aside to the right or to the left. And then verse 11, so be careful to love the Lord your God. 
Big picture, that's what God asks us to do. Obey him and love him. How are we ever going to obey him if we don't know his will? If we have no means of discovering what he wants us to do? Well, God himself has already taken care of that. He took care of it for them and he's taken care of it for us. And that is, he's given us the word. For them, they had the first five books of your Bible. Books of Moses. That's what they're to depend on. That's what they're to look to. To not deviate from. Read and obey. We have a much fuller revelation. We have the complete word of God. But our challenge is exactly the same. Read and obey. Be aware of what God's asking you to do. And be obedient to his direction. You see, behavior will be changed when we spend time in the word. That old-fashioned saying is absolutely true. The Bible will keep you from sin. And sin will keep you from the Bible. Be in the Word. Obey Him. But secondly, love Him. Verse 11. Be careful to love the Lord your God. You see, He wants them to remember everything that God has done for them, but not just by way of making a list, not just the cold, hard facts. He wants them to remember what God has done for them so that their hearts will be burning with thanksgiving and gratitude. That they will be inspired to love God. Moses has said it in Deuteronomy 6, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Joshua is echoing that here. Because he realizes that when we love God, all we're doing is loving him back. He already loves us. He already has shown us his love and been loving towards us. So love God. Love and good behavior always goes together. When you love someone, you think about the impression that you're making on that person. And you kind of step up. Live up to the the expectations. I mean, think about it. When a young man falls in love with a young woman, all of a sudden that guy who never really used to care about his appearance, all of a sudden he's combing his hair every morning. All all of a sudden he's taking frequent showers, (laughs) checking his breath to see if he's offending anybody, right? Why? Because he cares now what she thinks. And behavior has changed. Love does that. I think that's the thing we ought to keep in mind about the Lord. I I want to love God in such a way that I care about what he thinks when he sees what I do. That I care about what he thinks when he hears what I say. My behavior is altered because I love him. Obey and love. But there's more to the story than just that. Because every time we are called to a positive, there's also a negative. There's some things that I must do to demonstrate my love for the Lord. But there's also things that I stop doing to demonstrate my love to the Lord. There's always a yes and there's always a no. And that's the third point of this meeting. And Joshua says to the leaders, say no to the things that God asks you to avoid. Look at verse 7 and then we'll jump down to verse 12. Do not associate with these nations that remain among you. Do not invoke the names of their gods or swear by them. You must not serve them or bow down to them. Verse 12. 
But if you turn away and ally yourselves with the survivors of these nations and that remain among you, and if you intermarry with them and associate with them, then you may be sure that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you. Instead, they will become snares and traps for you, whips on your backs and thorns in your eyes until you perish from this good land which the Lord your God has given you. Obey what God says to do. Avoid what God says not to do. And the two things that he's saying in this meeting with the leaders, it has to do with religion. Say no to the religion of the people of the land and say no to intimate relationships with the people of the land. You might ask yourself the question, what would cause the Israelites even to be tempted along those lines? What would cause them to want to intermarry with the Canaanites and and, and settle down among them? And the answer is probably obvious. It is the way of ease. This is the easy way. War is hard and difficult. And Canaan was a fertile land. and, And the Canaanites... We're used to farming it. And and so someone somewhere is probably saying, why don't we keep these guys around? You know, they know what they're doing. And oh, by the way, some of these ladies in these Canaanite cities, they are good looking. And the fact is, there's a lot of them. And my odds odds go up when my standards go down. Right? If If I'm not so picky about just marrying someone inside the faith... My odds go up. But Joshua says they'll be a snare to you. Paul picks up this theme in the New Testament. He says in 2 Corinthians 6, Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? Now Paul is not only talking about marriage in that passage, but marriage is included in what he's talking about. It is very obvious, very plain. A follower of Jesus is not to marry someone who's not a follower of Jesus. Does it make it harder? Yes. There are more unbelieving men and women out there. It's true. Your odds go up if you were to erase that distinction. But when you erase that distinction, you will pay a price. You always pay a price. In the best of cases of intermarriage, the price that you will pay is the harmony of a home dedicated to Jesus. You lose that spiritual unity found when husband and wife both see Jesus as the center of this family. You will go it alone. And usually, it works out badly for the children. In the worst of cases, the believer is ensnared to the idols of the day and leaves the things of God behind. And so the command is, be separate. Do not follow their religion. Do not follow them in intimate relationships. Be separate from them. Because they're going to face a lot of belief systems that are against the things of the Word of God. And some of those belief systems will sound inviting, maybe even witty. I remember Robert Ingersoll. I don't remember him personally. He died in 1899, but I remember his writings. Robert Ingersoll, in his day, was called the champion of free thought. And it's his ideas that have infiltrated our society today. This is what he writes. He said, while I'm opposed to all orthodox creeds, I have a creed myself. 
And my creed is this. Happiness is the only good. The time to be happy is now. The place to be happy is here. The way to be happy is to make others so. If there is another world, when we get there, we can make another creed. But this creed will certainly do for this life. No, it will not. It sounds uh, clever, it is, it is well phrased, but it is empty. It will not do. You can't shoot for happiness in a fallen world filled with sinful people and think that that's alone enough to go for. Even if you want to make other people happy, what will come is heartache and pain. If I want the sinner to be happy, he's happy when he sins and soon I end up supporting the sin and I condemn him and myself. Rather, aim for righteousness as God defines it in his word and you're going to get happiness thrown in. Aim for happiness only and you're going to get misery. And the lesser joys of the fallen flesh, the Israelites must get that. And so must we. Aim for righteousness. Aim for purity. And if you don't, what you'll find is compromise. And what compromise will look like is bowing down to idols. Now their idols are literal idols. Literal statues. Our idols are more subtle. The idol of wealth. The idol of popularity. The idol of power. Latching ourselves onto philosophies that are opposite the Lord. It's compromise. And Joshua is letting them know that compromise always has consequences. It did then and it does today. You need to realize that God is true to his word. He's true to both the promises and the threats of his word. So let's go to the end of the meeting. Very last verse of chapter 23, verse 16. Joshua ends with this. If you violate the covenant of the Lord your God, which he has commanded you, and you go and serve other gods and bow down to them, the Lord's anger will burn against you, and you will quickly perish from the good land that he has given you. See, Joshua is concerned about the future. He's not going to be there to see it. He recognizes that it's all about now setting the right trajectory. And he realizes that God will be true to the threats if the people don't obey. He's making, he's having this meeting in approximately the year 1380 B.C., give or take. That's about the time. And what we know is the rest of the story. We know that even though the, the, the narrower road of righteousness will be the road to blessing, that the children of Israel eventually choose the wider road. We know that they will choose the way of ease and the way of compromise. And so fast forward from this meeting to 750 years later, and another voice is speaking the words of God. And it's the prophet Isaiah. And he writes this, Hear, O heavens, listen, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. I reared children and brought them up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows his master, the donkey his owner's manger, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. They have spurned the Holy One of Israel and turned their backs on him. And it is in the time of Isaiah's prophecy that destruction comes. Joshua's warning comes true. They perish 
from the good land. But that doesn't have to be the end of the story. Because the heart of God is not for that consequence. The will of God and the desire of God is not for that consequence. Here's the invitation of the Lord. Isaiah 1. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they will be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. See, the heart of the Lord is always making that offer. There's always a way back. There's always that open door. He is ready to forgive and he is ready to receive. He was for them and he is for us. And the way back is through the cross of Christ. To turn to the cross of Christ in repentance and faith. To understand that compromise has consequences and we're paying the price without but outside the grace of Jesus. But the invitation is there. Your sins, though they be scarlet, shall be like wool. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you that there is a way back. For some of us, even as believers in Jesus, Lord, we, we can sense that there's been areas of compromise where we have heard what is right to do and we haven't done it, or we have pursued that which you would not want us to pursue. And right now, if I'm describing you, take a moment and pray a prayer of repentance. And ask the Lord to give you strength to say yes to obey. Lord, we thank you that as we cling to you, you fight for us. We thank you, Lord, as we turn to you, you give us mercy and grace and peace. We thank you, Lord, that all of this is a story of love. How you love us and you want what is best for us. Forgive us for the times that we think we know best. Enable us, we pray, to surrender to your love. For we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The team is back to lead us in a closing song. Would you stand as we sing?
said yes to this reckless love we're talking about. I'm trying to go it alone. If that's you, you know it's you, because the Spirit is reminding you. But today that can all change. You can be introduced to the Savior who loves you, and you can find mercy and grace and hope forever. And I'm going to ask you to slip forward and go next to the organ here where we have counselors waiting to pray with you and introduce you to the Savior that they know. Or maybe there's an issue simply, even as a believer, that you're facing for which you need prayer. They'll be ready to represent you to the throne of grace. But before we do that, let's all pray together. Lord, we thank you that our entire journey is a journey bathed in love. And even the times that you nudge us in directions that we don't want to go, that's always the best way for us. So help us to say yes to what you want. Help us to say no to what the flesh wants. And Lord, enable us to be your people, serving you and working for your glory. Dismiss us with your blessing. 
for we ask it all in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen, amen. God, thank you.